The comments within the following podcast are those of any show hosts and not representative of any company in which the show hosts may represent. Welcome to podcast number 329 of the Technology Podcast Series. My name is Jared Reimer. How can we keep from databases online from being exposed? NCSAM. Why does it have to end? And what have we learned? How do we stay safe from shopping? Dice World and other games and where we are in the accessibility field of games. More specifically, I talk about Dice World specific changes and how they responded to something very interesting that happened with one of their versions. Finally, in memoriam, Michelle Dyer. I was asked to bring back this domain that was bought a long time ago and some of the podcasts that are listed on there were podcasts that were from this very podcast. That list, as well as a recap of what's on the site, is available and the website is given. The song for this time is an Aaron Starks track from the depths of a year. The song is entitled Dad's Song and contact information is available at the end of the program. I will quickly give it here and we'll move along. Email iMessage Tech, that's T-E-C-H at M-E-N-V-I dot O-R-G. Text or WhatsApp 804-442- 6975. And of course, if you have me on other social media, you may feel free to utilize that. You can also find other contact information on my website. The main domain is jaredrimer.net. I'm also on Livewire on 2276. And of course, the tech board is 295, and the podcast board is 974. Thank you so much for listening to this program, and I hope to be back on another one very soon. Thanks for listening, and make it a great day. Welcome to podcast number 329. A couple of people on Livewire, one in particular, brought up a very interesting topic when I asked what we should cover on the podcast. And they said a telephone company recently got breached. And another person sent me an article through a website called Dark Reading. Dark Reading is a reliable source. And the telecom company ought to be 
ashamed of itself. And two of us got into a discussion in regards to why are we storing this information online? And they had a very interesting but valid perspective. The reason why data is stored online is because they've got many offices and the customer service reps need to be able to access the accounts at any given time. When you call in, they're looking you up and doing. And I understand that this is how it's to be. <clears throat> there are different types of databases. And instead of talking specifically about the telecom company problem, I want to shift the conversation away from a telecom company specific problem to what we should do to prevent these types of mistakes. You know, we've talked on the podcast about numerous breaches. A lot of them caused by people clicking on links and the actors take the stuff. A lot of them are caused by misconfigured servers in general. In some of them are caused by misconfigured databases like in this story and there are different types of databases out there there's SQL and MongoDB And in this instance, MongoDB is to blame on this one because it wasn't configured properly. The telecom company in question is CenturyLink, which is a small telecom company covering multiple states in the United States. And they offer truly unlimited long distance they truly allow you to use the phone the way that it should be. But there are some instances where they may charge more money for calling specific numbers if they feel it's necessary to do so. Now, I'm not getting into the telecom company's business practices per se because I don't know them that well. I do know who they are, and I know a few people who use them. But my point of talking about CenturyLink in this context is because they did get hit with this problem. And 
why does it have to be such a big problem? It is going to happen. Mistakes like this are going to happen. But why does it have to be a 10-month problem? The Capital One breach was a misconfigured firewall. Yes, Paige Thompson did have access at one point to Amazon stuff, but from what I've been told as part of the conversation dealing with this, Paige Thompson was not working at Amazon at the time of the alleged breach. Now, some of the breaches that we've seen were caused by somebody turning on a switch and putting a server online. And it might happen. I could excuse that type of mistake. Oops, somebody turned this server on and we didn't know it. And we have since corrected the problem. Okay, fine. I can excuse that type of mistake. Because if they've had it correct to begin with, and either a researcher or a hacker made off with it, well, a researcher won't necessarily make off with it. A researcher will tell you about it. But I'm a little unclear specifically on this case whether or not it was a researcher or hackers that found it. I think it was a researcher. But if it were hackers that made off with all of this data, then we've got a bigger problem. My sense from reading the article is that it was not hackers that made off with the data but it was a researcher who responsibly disclosed it and the patch of closing that hole that should have never been opened by the company was put in place now why are we still talking about this I mean one person in the conversation said to me, you know, who's responsible for this? You know, I said, this is one reason why the Music Education Network for the Visually Impaired does not put our customer data online in a database form like this. I only mention it because I do have an online database of our online subscribers at Menvi. I haven't updated it in a long time. It's out of date. I'm actually tempted to go pull the lists directly and do the database that way instead of continuing to do the database as I had done it on my note taker. But 
the only reason why I would do that is because that's really all the data I need. I don't need all of this other data and I store all of the rest of the data in Dropbox. And I completely understand why companies need to search it online because searching on a computer in Dropbox or Google Drive isn't going to be effective when you've got millions of customers and multiple call centers around the country. And as somebody told me too, you'll, some of it is outsourced. And I understand that. But here's the thing. Somebody has got to answer to how this stuff is misconfigured. They must know what the practices are and must implement it. And everybody must communicate to be able to say, if you mess this up, right, we need to know mistakes are going to happen and we're not going to get you in trouble, but we don't want an embarrassment here. We honestly don't want an embarrassment. And I tell you what, I know that the tech blog runs on WordPress, which runs a PHP SQL database. But that's all. I don't know how to log into the database. When I edit a post, I do it through WordPress. When I view the blog, I look at it at WordPress. When there was a problem, I told my provider and my provider looked into it, was able to restore the blog to what it was. I don't really know how to log into the database. I don't know how to repair it. I know nothing about it. So I am the last person who would want to go in and do that type of thing. But we need to find a solution to the ongoing problem of having this type of data exposed when it should not be. I mean, I get the reason why it's connected to the Internet. It's the best solution out there. I am not going to discount that. It's a bad idea. It should be in a shared environment through a shared file service where everybody has an account with that provider and the like. But I get why it's not done that way. So let's talk about how we can make sure that when we as businesses move to set up a database so that our customer service reps can go online to look up the information so that the customer can be serviced, that this information doesn't get leaked. I believe the number this time was 2 million plus. 
I completely understand it. I understand the complication. So, what, what can we do? And that's why I want to bring it up differently. I'm talking about all of this to shed light on a bigger problem. The bigger problem is that we do not have insight into how this is stored and how it's configured. In fact, as I'm mentioning this, I think I have a better solution. If it has to be on the internet, there's two types of internet. There's the intranet, which is a networked, and the outside internet. Now, in a global company, I'm pretty sure that we could probably get this fixed, right? Make the database only available on the intranet, the internal internet that you would use to uh, do some of the work that you need to do already, i.e. email, you know, answering phones and the like if it's connected through voice over IP. Now, if the database was hooked online through the intranet, the local network that everybody has to hook into, then there is no public exposure unless that got misconfigured somehow. I mean, thinking about it, that could be the best solution of all. You have it accessible so somebody can look it up and put notes in and do what they need to do for a customer. But yet, it's not on the public internet where it can be mishandled. And if it got misconfigured, it's misconfigured internally, not externally. That could be the best solution to a big problem we have. And I don't see a better solution. In fact, I think we need to ask more questions like, how is it supposed to be configured? And how did somebody flip the switch and make it opposite? Let's talk about it. I don't have a I don't have a full-on solution right now, but I think we need to find one and tell people about it and get people to understand how big of a problem this is. What are your thoughts? Let's talk. Why does National Cybersecurity Awareness Month need to only be once a year? Instead of it being once a year, 
Let's take the opportunity, as discussed in an earlier segment on an earlier podcast, to do the work every day of the year. In the last segment, I talked about how another potential breach, whether it was a researcher that found it or otherwise, could have exposed or could expose another 2 million customers because of a misconfigured database. Because National Cybersecurity Awareness Month is over, it is long past the time whether or not they have learned. It is a mistake. I get it. But the good news is that it was patched, the hole was closed, and now they're disclosing it. But we need to learn about these lessons so that we can protect ourselves all the time. Okay? Now, why do we have to do this once a year. You know, I posted a blog post and a lot of the training to do phishing simulation, which is the cause of a lot of the breaches. Okay, a lot of the breaches have been because of a phishing attack. A large number of them Now, I'm not saying that's the only way a breach can occur. Now, I know that this podcast targets people who are blind or disabled in one way or another. And the problem is, is that companies like Fish Labs charge a lot of money for training because they target the companies that are getting hit so that companies can learn how to better handle email because that's the first sign of getting into one's network now as a small business owner who has only a few customers doing web hosting at this current time, I would love to get simulated. I would love to learn what to look for. Now, so far, I had been doing pretty good. I mean, I got curious, I clicked on links. They weren't malicious, they didn't cause my computer any harm. But there's going to be a time that I'm going to get hit and something could happen to me that I've never seen before, whether it's discussed in a blog article or somewhere else. Now, I don't know about you all, but why can't we get the training 
that we need to be able to understand what to do. I think the training should be available to everybody because it takes everybody to understand what the threat actors are up to and it takes a lot of time and effort to understand it because a lot of people may not understand it the first time they are taught and I think what needs to happen is that there needs to be training modules done in such a way where we can take our time, understand it, ask questions, get responses, get tested. You know, I've talked about my struggles with the Braille transcription course, and I had a very lengthy discussion with one particular educator who is currently teaching this course to a group of students. And there is a lot of baggage in regards to this course. And I'm only mentioning it in passing because we need to be retrained on what is allowed and what is not in Braille as well as learning the various formatting rules when it comes to Unified English Braille. The same type of training should be done with the fishing simulations. Create a course that is affordable or low cost. Allow everyone to get involved to learn what the actors are up to Take the simulations, learn how to protect yourself, and that way your own data is as safe as you can make it. Right now, our hands are tied. We keep hearing about millions and millions and millions of people's information being taken some of us more times than we want to know. I, for example, have been taken at least twice. Now, nothing serious has happened yet. But my credit card number has been taken twice. And I know why. And I learned what company was involved and I talked about that on an earlier podcast so as I said we have to learn somehow we have to learn what is going on and it doesn't have to stop by a once a year act called National Cybersecurity Awareness Month 
in the United States. In the show notes for this podcast, I'm going to link to that blog post as a talking point. And I really think that we should think about the posts in general that last past posts. What is your program up to? Well, I don't have a program because I'm such a small business that I don't have staff for one, but I'd like to get involved in a program so I can teach the staff that I do have what's out there and how to protect ourselves. So far, I've been lucky, but there's going to be a time where I'm going to make a mistake because I've not seen it talked about on a blog post or I haven't seen that type of email before and I'm going to get myself bit and there are five questions on the blog post which I cover in some detail And they're very thought-provoking questions. And I want you all to think about it. There are questions as follows. Did your organization have goals for NCSAM this year? Yes, I did. I wanted to make sure we were as safe as possible by reading what's out there and continuing to teach you, the customer, even though this is a podcast, what's out there and how we can protect ourselves. What new things did you try Or what programs did you continue from previous years? Well, I can't get into any programs because they cost a lot of money. And I feel that's part of the problem. What type of feedback did you receive? Well, one of my staff members always asks questions when he's not sure. There was an applicant needing a roster and he sent me an email saying who is this clown and while I already knew he wasn't a clown I went and corrected them because there's a lot of email going around perpetrating to be from one person or another and we verified their membership to the network and were able to clear up the situation so they're very vigilant and questionable on everything which is great. What would you like to try next year? Why don't we try starting today? Something like getting the capabilities of the training into the hands of everybody so that businesses and consumers can learn what to look for so that 
we don't get bit by the threat actors. What results are you looking for in your cybersecurity initiatives? For a while, I didn't cover all of this stuff. In fact, if you remember, I did release a lot of podcasts for a while because this is all I was seeing. But as I got to thinking about it last year, we need to continue to talk about it. And this podcast is the only one that talks about it in the blind community and disabled community. While there are podcasts like Security Now and other mainstream podcasts which cover it on a more detailed basis, I could make sense of it, talk about it in such a way where it makes sense, and maybe spark some discussions. This has to continue, and if we don't continue that, we are never going to learn what these people are up to, what tricks they're up to, and how to protect ourselves. Once a month, once a year, I put once a month in the blog, but I know that this is a once a year event. That should stop. It should be every day, and we should continue to post things like how to protect our children online, you know, what types of threats are out there that children can get themselves into that we need to teach them about? What types of threats are out there for adults that could basically take our computers out? And we should be teaching our children specifically how and when to share data on their own websites and their own social media and social media platforms should have such a policy where they're trying to protect children online and if they don't know what dangers are out there that children can get bait on then we have not accomplished anything in 31 days. That's just a start. I know I misspelled catastrophe in there. Oops. I was trying the, the uh, best I could on that word. Oops. There has been mixed feedback when talking about the various aspects of National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Some have enjoyed it. Some say, why bother? We've pretty much been owned anyway. I do not have goals for the year, but when I see something that's worth talking about, such as the 2 million people who have potentially been targeted at the telecom company and how we should be finding out who was responsible so that we can protect ourselves and make sure our databases are locked down as much as possible. That's what we need to do. So I'm going to link to this blog post and I really think that it's time for people to start thinking about how this type of thing works.
this is going to be a continuing problem for the foreseeable future. I don't see it going away. And that is a problem. If I have the problem with the Braille transcription course and it has nothing to do with cybersecurity, but it has to do with teaching a particular skill, then if we don't learn how to fix that type of thing, how are we going to get people to change the way that they operate these online databases that are necessary to do day-to-day -day operations. I'm curious on your thoughts on National Cybersecurity Awareness Month, and if it's not called that in your country, it's something similar, but it's the same type of program aspect of teaching. I am curious on what you think. So do get in touch. Let's switch gears a little bit. Halloween is over. And I had spotted an article that talks about eight things that retailers can do to keep themselves safe. Well, as safe as possible, anyway. And I think and say that we should also do our part. So I'm going to turn this around and not link to Dark Reading's copy of an article entitled Eight Things That Retailers Can Do. I think we should talk about what we can do. You see, this podcast seems to target the disabled population, and that's great. It doesn't matter to me who listens to the podcast. People may find it of value, and others may skip some parts and listen to others. And I think what I want to do is focus on what we can do. For example, a lot of us are getting a ton of email wanting us to buy various things for example I continually get email promoting a website called monkeydigital.co in this email that I get promotes various pages on this website saying you need this and you need that and we can offer this and we can offer that and point to various pages on this domain. I've never visited it. I might have looked at one, but for the most part, I've not visited them. And I say, if you're not looking for it, then I, today, would say not even to bother pressing that enter button on those links. That is the first thing because you really don't know where you're going 
For example, the email could say monkeydigital.co, which could be a very legitimate business. But what if it goes to IHateYou.com? Just because it says Monkey Digital doesn't mean it's actually going there, although these are text links in a contact form. So that's not necessarily going to be the case. But if it's a formatted HTML email and the email says monkey digital and you press enter and you go and you check the URL by pressing control L on your keyboard and it's taking you somewhere completely else you know you're in trouble which is why I think a few podcasts ago I said you know what while I do get curious about some of the email I get it's time to quit saying and looking and talking about these various looking sites because so far you've not been bit but your time is coming and so I'm not going I think also what we should do and it's going to be recommended to to stay on websites that you are familiar with if you buy things from blindness related websites such as MaxiAids you're gonna be fine you're gonna be fine going to Amazon if you're buying a domain for somebody and you're going to build them a, a website and do the work and you're gonna surprise them with that website once you're done and say go check out this page and it belongs to them you've bought it and done all of that that's awesome there are legitimate websites including Namecheap that you can use I'm not even going to say that there are illegitimate websites in this space but you really don't know recently the biggest two websites or is it three got hit the biggest one that has been really popular is network solutions but there's also register.com and there was one other and I'd say if you use them and you haven't had a problem then use them they're legitimate businesses and there may have been a mistake that's since been corrected and you'll be fine now I'm not going to keep this podcast on a security focus. But think about some of the other products that you might want to get. You want to get 
dynamo tape for your braille labeler so you can label things around the house. There are plenty of merchants for that. And all I'm saying to, to in regards to the security aspect is that you should make sure that you're on the site that you really want to be at. Because websites today are taking your information away from you without your knowledge and there are many many kinds of websites out there now that can do that because they're taken over and you just don't want to be in the wrong place You also want to make sure, although researchers and, and people who've been in the business for a long time say, look for the padlock. Well, we as disabled people can't see a padlock. I say, look at whether you're not you're on a secure website by checking the URL where it says HTTPS for secure. And again, check the spelling of the URL. You could go to maxiades.com and spell aid, A-D-E, and not know it. And I don't know if that domain actually exists. And if you go there, you're going at your own risk. But there are common misspellings that you could make to uh, go somewhere where you're not wanting to go. And it happens to everybody. I also say, you know, if you buy from regular merchants in store, you are going to be okay. It's not common that a merchant is breached in store, although we've learned from the target breach that this isn't necessarily the case. Again, I'm talking about simply shopping, not necessarily online versus offline, secure versus non-secure. I think it's time that we talk about this now instead of later. And there's really no way for you to know, sadly, whether there's been some sort of compromise at your favorite retailer store. But retailers are told, and according to a portion of this article, I don't even want to link to because it caught my attention, but yet I didn't want to cover it that way. I wanted to cover it this way. But retailers are told to make sure that their systems are as up-to-date and patched as possible. Are they going to do it? Probably not. Some might. But others, we honestly don't know. And the possibility is there that they say they will, and then we'll find out later that they won't. I buy music sp specifically 
on CD Baby, Bandcamp, and I've bought them from eMusic even though I'm not a member of theirs anymore because it's too expensive for me. The monthly cost uh, doesn't give me enough to really buy a whole lot. But these are reputable merchants. And that's my goal of talking about this and turning around an article and saying, you know, instead of talking about what merchants can do, let's also talk about what consumers can do. It's a two-way street. If you don't feel safe at a website or a merchant's place, then don't do business with them. It's the only way to stay as safe as possible. The merchant has to do their part as well. And I'm not knocking them for the fact that they have not been secure this year. We know that the target breach occurred after Thanksgiving, between Thanksgiving and Christmas. We know that the last several years we've had Black Friday and Cyber Monday, and Braille 2000's Bob Step is already getting emails for deals the first week of November for Black Friday. I can't believe that one, though. I mentioned it by saying if he really wanted to buy, he would go seek it out. And I'm not saying that Amazon and other merchants don't send legitimate emails. They do. But... You also want to be making sure that it is coming from them and they greet you the way that you know how they greet you when they want to give you deals and and other odds and ends. For example, Amazon greets you by your full name or company. So does PayPal and so do other businesses. So let's talk about how you can be safe during this shopping season. I'm going to change gears yet again. Let's talk games. And specifically, I'm talking about the Dice World app, which really got a new makeover. I demoed a little bit of it and then purchased the sound pack option to see what it was. And it's really evolving into something very interesting. There was a bug that ended up getting resolved in the way that the chat system worked and while I'm not on iOS 13 yet, it actually broke because Apple broke something. I ended up finding where to send an email and sent an email saying uh, app crashes in the game chat when you go back, in the hangout chat room when you go back, 
uh, or even double tapping on the hangout or any of the support uh, things that actually crashed and an update came out within a day the layout of the app has been reviewed with mixed results according to what I've seen in their support forum some people like it some people don't I do know that I can also confirm one of the posts recently said hey I don't see a badge on my games when it's my turn and the recent update at the very top underneath your wins and losses if that's turned on for you and the percent of your next level it shows how many games are active and if there isn't that space is actually pretty much non-existent um, the your turn section does say zero games and it says waiting for opponent I honestly kind of like this new format it's nice and clean you can even go into the settings and turn on their turns and games completed and and so forth and take a look and they recently added a chat center which also crashed but it seems as though it could be related to my internet although I do have fast speed downstairs where the bedroom is in the way this apartment is configured uh, it could be the fact that I am on uh, a slower speed down there than I am up here and it's got a ways to travel it does work but it is kind of interesting uh, I did post that but it seems to have stabilized I don't know what seems to have gotten on and I don't expect it to be perfect trust me if there was perfect we wouldn't be talking about all these security problems security now would not be around and twit could have other shows although security now is one of their most popular shows to date so it is definitely a very interesting time in the game world aspect of things because they're making changes to dice world they do have a game called game world which um, has eight games and I started playing it but I got bored of it I've also got tons of other games that I've played and got bored of and I know that this phone I'm not going to be putting any newer games on it now I'm gonna wait till I get an updated phone and hopefully that'll be this Christmas I'm milking my phone as long as possible but I'm happy with what I have you know this phone's given me a long life and I can't thank God enough for allowing me to have this phone as much as I have been able to use it I've tried to take very good care 
of this phone knowing that I'm not getting one every year or every two years or or the like it just can't work for me um honestly I think that games nowadays should be made accessible and if the dice world team can do it any developer can learn enough to make it accessible for people who use voiceover and other assistive aspects of their phones it's not just voiceover that you have to make your app accessible for I know that the iPhone's got things for hearing impairments. It's got things for making the font larger without <coughs> the assistance of voiceover. And I think what you want to do is try to make your app as accessible as possible with all of these types of uh, assistive technology things that are out there already. I know that Android has really made great strides in making sure that their phones are accessible as possible. Now I don't honestly know how games work on Android. I never tried it when I had access to dad's phone. And so I don't really know how it works. Again, I never was a really big proponent of Android. Back in the day, it was very interesting. And I bet it has changed. And if I'm able to, I would love to get my paws on it and see how it's evolved in five years. That's the only way we can be fair about our reporting. And so I'm curious on the Android side and how games work and how the accessibility seems to be there. I know that there are people who play Dice World specifically on Android and from what I see in the support forum they are not having very many issues. So I'm curious on whether you use an Android on Games, because you need leisure time, and that's what this file is all about. Leisure time, games, Dice World specific uh, updates that I've seen, and uh, where they're headed, and they're keeping it accessible. Your thoughts.
in memoriam. Michelle Dyer, 1969-2010 A website has just been brought back because the family and other people wanted to be able to download the content. When I removed the website, it was with the understanding that I was not going to bring it back again. Sadly, I was recently asked to bring the website back. Luckily, nobody bought the domain. The domain is michelledyermemorial.com, spelled M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-D-Y-E-R, memorial, M-E-M-O-R-I-A-L.com. The purpose of this website, which has just been updated because of the fact that we are no longer on my telespace and the number given on that website was a box that I had but I hadn't called into it for a while so it ended up eventually being out of my control anyway is being talked about on this podcast because Michelle was a part of the network and there had been some tech podcasts that Michelle was on. Those podcasts are available through Michelle's website as a memorial to the work and contributions that she had with this network during her life. I am still saddened today that she cannot be part of this ongoing project of the network as we explore braille transcription and are involved in other projects as well. Michelle, we will be linking to your website and I will make sure to keep the website operating as long as people wish to continue to use it. I had once let this website go, but now I feel I must keep it. I have thought about this decision long and hard after one of her dear friends asked me to bring it back. I was able to buy the domain within this past week and then had difficulties relinking it back to the account. I would like to personally thank the kind folks at Brightside Networks, otherwise known as Ultrahost, for assisting me to bring the account back. The account itself was never deleted off the Gerald Reimer network, but there was a technical issue which prevented the domain from resolving, even though we pointed the domain name servers over to the appropriate servers that are provided. We tried several different servers and none of them were working. When mentioning this, one of the people who work at this company was able to find the problem and resolved it. Thank you so much for your support. I want to take this opportunity to talk a little bit about which podcasts were involved for Michelle. First of all, you can go over to the website and find a podcast directory of things. 
And next, you can also download them directly from the website. Michelle was part of the following podcasts. Technology Podcast 1. Technology Podcast 10. Technology Podcast 19. And Technology Podcast 44. I would hope that Michelle would want to be able to continue to participate on this valuable network as she understood a lot of what we were talking about. Some of the other podcasts that were made available, including Amber Alert Podcasts, from the Code Amber Project, which no longer exists, and we also have tributes from patrons who took the time to voice their thoughts and sorrow. We also held multiple conferences for the first several years after Michelle's passing. All of that is available on this website. Michelle also had commentary that was made available in regards to different things. I also hope that each and every one of you, if you knew who she was, will take the opportunity to visit this website. I will link it as part of the show notes for this podcast. I know that a lot of people have probably moved on from the fact that the domain was closed in 2015 and has now been brought back upon request of one of her dearest friends who also had been a part of this podcast at one point or another. Let's take this opportunity to remember those that we have lost in this difficult time and remember that people are dying every day that people knew. Some people build websites. Some people build walls. Some people don't do anything. As a lot of you know who have listened to this podcast, I recently had a loss in my life. And I did a very touching podcast, which was the majority of that particular podcast. You can find that podcast on the RSS feed at technology.jaredreimer.net slash audio. The goal of me talking about this website is to give you a glimpse 
into someone who meant a lot to me, who did work for me, and I did work for them as they tried to build a career. Sadly, an illness took their life. An illness that eventually killed them. We don't know truly the entire story. But while this website is up, please feel free to go over there. My network sponsors it. Enjoy what you hear. And you are welcome to leave your comments and feedback through my website at jaredreimer.net. Thank you to those of you who have allowed me to first put this website up in 2010. I am happy to bring it back to you and I will continue to pay for the domain. Michelle, I will not let this domain go again. This is all I have of you left. And may this entry in this podcast be a remembrance only. I am not going to publish this on your site because I have a a lot of other stuff that has been talked about. And this is more of a memory than anything else. I really hope that you are happy and you are not suffering anymore with whatever illness took you from this precious world. Michelle was only in her 30s to 40 if that. I don't honestly remember, but that is very, very young. Thanks to everybody for your support. Please feel free to check out the website, even if you don't listen to a thing, at least check it out. I built it myself while grieving for this wonderful friend.
thank you so much for taking this opportunity to check out the podcast. I am Jared Reimer, and that is going to do it. The track that you heard after the In Memoriam was Aaron Stark's Dad's Song from the album The Depths of a Year. My contact information is as follows. Email and iMessage tech, that's T-E-C-H, at M-E-N-V-I dot O-R-G. You can also text or WhatsApp 804-442-6975. I really hope while Michelle's website is up and operating that people get a chance to hear what type of a person Michelle was and how knowledgeable she became in some of the stuff that she really didn't have exposure to as the technology podcast was really in its first and second years while she was alive. I want to take the opportunity to thank each and every one of you for listening and I'll be back with another edition of the technology podcast where more than likely we'll continue to delve into the Braille transcription course I will talk about, at some point, the assignment grading process of 16, and, of course, whatever else is on your mind. Please feel free to get in touch with me. I can't do this podcast alone. Your thoughts and comments are welcome. Until next time, thank you so much for listening, and make it a great day.